from Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in revisited, comprehensive Minneapolis. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are holistic game design and work-life balance, again. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Y'all ever, like, you know when we said the part where we're like, I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games? I don't say that part. Well, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but during that part, do you ever like try to say it differently just to mix things up? And uh, I like, I, I'll try to say, and I make nice games or, and I make nice games. And you like, lose your nerve? Yeah. No, I don't lose my nerve, but I just like, <laughs> I think about that. I'm like, is this one going to be, is this, how do I make this one different? And then it ends up feeling like it's the same thing and I don't really make much of a difference, but that's that. <laughs> Welcome to Nice Games Club. Uh, Where we talk about our inflections. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a little bit on topic to yeah. my topic today, how it all comes together. So we'll yeah. get into that because yeah. that, that is actually very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is our 151st episode according to our numbers list thing, uh-huh. which isn't always accurate because we have some episodes here or there that are like not numbered and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. Like it's been about three years. Yeah. yeah. Not quite because we a- we end up averaging more than 52 episodes a year. It's true. Uh, somehow. <laughs> well, because we did for a while, we did two episodes. That's with, right. And we did video episodes. And- right. Yep. We, yeah, we, we would do yeah two that would be released in the same day. And then we took those eight weeks of reruns oh, uh, yeah. at the, the end of last year and it all balanced out. Yeah. So we're now roughly about, fi- you know, we'll hit the 50 around our anniversary, which isn't until... Uh, November, mm-hmm. uh, our three-year anniversary. So we'll celebrate again then. But it's a big moment for us. Is yeah. that we've, you know, uh, and we've talked about it in past anniversary type episodes where we 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 uh, just how we're still surprised and how we're <laughs> able to you, keep this listeners. working. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is like it's uh, we're motivated to do it because we enjoy it. We found a way to make it work for us, and it helps us in our own processes as we work on our projects. But like. It wouldn't make a lot of sense if there weren't anybody listening and giving us feedback yeah. and, and telling us that it, it means something to them as well. And so um, we, we love hearing that. So thank you for those who've reached out. And if you're just a, you know, a listener and if we've helped you in any way, either just get through the day or actually you know, uh, help you over a hurdle in your project, then we're glad you're there. Yes, yes, yes. It's what it's, it keeps us coming here to record these episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the things we're doing for this episode is, Stephen, you've picked out an old, old topic, one of yes. the very first ones we ever did, mm-hmm. and you're gonna, we're just going to redo it. Yeah. Right? We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, we're in different places in our lives. It's been, you know, 150 episodes worth of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about that. There's still some meta. We've got some There's, stuff at the top of the show. Some more people have taken up the Stephen test. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> I'm glad I'm on the hook for those. Uh, so what is the Steven test? The Steven test is where you send me a trailer and I watch it begrudgingly because I don't generally like watching trailers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, uh, so like, and I'll give you feedback as to what I liked and disliked. So I'd like to think I'm like the average viewer, but I'm, I mean, I'm probably not, but I do know that a lot of people don't watch trailers. So, yeah. so if you've got a trailer that yeah. you, you need some feedback on, send it to us on Twitter yes. or via email yes. uh, at nice games club contact at nicegames.club yes and Using uh, the hashtag hashtag steven test sure and my name is spelled with a ph please don't misspell it <laughs> right if you misspell it it'll go to some other steve <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're not <laughs> not doing that <laughs> so uh, who who sent in and what did they send gibrian Foltz, if i'm mispronouncing that i apologize sent me this game called uh reginald does his thing that's how they did in the trailer yeah <laughs> 
I, that's proof that I watched it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So the first thing I will say is that the trailer was like a minute and 40 seconds, which is too long. Oh, that's real close to your two minute limit. Two minutes and I'm not watching it. Right. And the two minutes is the limit. It's after yeah. two minutes, it just gets disqualified. Yeah. But as it gets close to two minutes, <laughs> it starts to test your patience. Yep. I did watch the whole thing. But yeah, it, it, I felt like, like, I like, and I think it made sense for the format of the trailer. It made sense that it was kind of a longer one. But like, I think at the end specifically, there were like, like 10, 15 seconds of footage that like, where, where you just had overlaid footage of, uh, or not footage. You had footage in the background and you overlaid links on it because that was like the links thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just made me like, less want to look at it because it increases the length of the trailer time. Yeah. Like, yeah, if it, if it was just like a, a minute and 30, then like, I mean, I'm still less likely to look at it, but like, I'm more likely to look at it than uh, a minute 50. So keep that in mind. Uh, though I think it did get a good uh, do a good job of showing the main mechanics of the game, which this game is really weird in that like you um vomit over everything. Right. It's a two D platformer. <laughs> it's a two D platformer where your main mechanics is jumping, running, and vomiting and <laughs> gross out. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's you like can, a- you can like equip different vomits, right? Yeah, I think so. That do different things. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I did a good job of showing how you use that in a unique ways. I was very, like, personally disgusted the whole time. But, well, like, I mean, it's, it's like Kogma. Oh, yeah. I guess it is kind of like Kogma from League of Legends. Yeah. That's a. I, now I know. Now I'm thinking of that. That also grosses me out with Kogma. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> who, is, who is this character? It's a. So it's like an alien esque character in mm-hmm. like League of Legends. That, He's like, so hungry. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> just, spits, just spits vomit and uh, acid and venom at, at your opponents. There are too many characters in that game. <laughs> this is one of the first characters, though. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, but, well. And you can give him a skin that's a beautiful butterfly. Anyway, this is off topic and yeah. not about the, about the trailer. Uh, I apologize. Um, but like, it, like, so the the trailer did a good job of showing all the different ways you could do it. Like, I found it interesting that like, you could use the vomit. I mean, to like annoy people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could also use it to like um, maneuver over spikes and like light things on fire and stuff, which was very interesting. Um, so it's good that it showed a lot of variety. Yeah, it started off like, it's like, oh, isn't barf funny? And then yeah. it was like, oh, but here are the actual mechanics. But we're serious about that. That use it for this actual <laughs> seriously platformer game. Yes, so right, right. It, it kind of found a way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it, it it got to the mechanical part quick enough. Well, I, well that's what um, was also kind of nice because like it, it introduced it in a way like there was an announcer character in the trailer. Yeah. And so it was nice that the announcer was like, Oh, look at this uh, person. He's going off and adventuring. It's going to be really exciting. Also, he throws up. What? (laughs) (laughs) So as like the announcer saw that and was like, also surprised, I was surprised. So like it, it was nice that like I was sort of sharing that experience. Took you on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. I was taken on a journey with the announcer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like, you know, then it got like more enthusiastic and adventurous, like as the trailer went on, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did notice that like at the end it was like uh, the end of the trailer was like wishlisted or whatever which you know this like kind of like a nihilistic way of like getting people to sign up for your stuff right. as indie of- devs nihilism is something we need to have <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. to get through the day yeah but I felt like it was off tone from what the trailer was like yeah. the trailer was like adventurous and enthusiastic about this journey um, but like at the end it was like wishlisted or whatever and I was like oh okay yeah so I don't know I, I felt like that was off yeah, I think it's difficult when you're doing marketing to 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 put on that hat and and be like, this is the best thing. You should totally spend your money on it. It's fantastic because you as a consumer don't like being told that. Yeah, generally, and so it's really easy to sort of short circuit your own by just like like oh I I know you potential game player 
I, I'm on your level. Mm-hmm. But so the, the, the motivation to do that, but it is a little counterintuitive sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and also, like, a lot of times when I'm showing the game off and people see how enthusiastic I am about my game, that makes them more enthusiastic, enthusiastic to play the game or purchase the game. Yeah. So, like, it, it works out, even though, like, it's annoying. You have to keep talking about this game you've been working on for so long. So, right, I, right. I get that, though. I right. Tell, that. Telling someone it's the best and amazing is it, it helps if you actually believe it. Mm-hmm. So, yes. <laughs> but, of course, it's really easy to get in your head and being like, oh, you know, and, and, and have your doubts yeah. and your frustrations. Yeah. And, and, you know, your acknowledgments that, you know, you're not making right. a, a multi-billion dollar game. Mm-hmm. So, it's not going to be the best game in the world. Yeah. But then... Uh, you know, you yeah. do need to be excited. You do need to want to convince people to do it. Right. So. My, my main, my main issue with the way that it was presented is that like, it just does not match the tone of the game that I, that I saw from the trailer. You didn't think so? Well, well that, that wishlisted or whatever thing. Yeah. Phrase. It didn't really match it to me. Whereas like, um, if it was, if like the whole trailer was more like, you know, pessimistic about stuff or whatever, then like, then it would make more sense. Oh yeah. Like, um, like, like this game is like fine. Look at the, and then the video would show how fun it was, but yeah. the, the, the tone of it, was almost ironic. Yeah. Like a sort of Daria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There you go. Right. Then (laughs) then it would have made sense at the end, but like, yeah, having, having it be all enthusiastic and like, Oh man, I'm ready for adventure. And then it's like, wish listed or whatever. Then I'm like, uh, maybe not. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. Just, you know, wish list it exclamation point. Yeah. (laughs) Put more exclamation points in your stuff. I I love exclamation points. I'm very biased about that. (laughs) Okay. So that was another one. Thank Um, you. Thank you for sending your trailer in. And I hope that helped. And yes. we'll put a link in the notes so you can uh, um, uh, check out the trailer and then wishlist it or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, another news, uh, my game, I'm working on a new project at work called Rhythm Rumble. Yeah. We just Woo-woo. announced it. Uh, I've been uh, working on it like sort of on and off for the past couple months. And so it's exciting to be able to work on this mm-hmm. uh, for the next year or so. Um, it is a uh, combination rhythm fighting game. Uh my boss still. We're very surprised. <laughs> right? I know. Fighting game, Steven? No. Um, but uh, my boss like put up gifts, um, a gift or two of, of it um, on, on Twitter. So I, I will link to that somewhere. So you can see kind of what it looks like. Um, and also, we're going to be at Playtest in the next couple weeks. At so, Glitch. At Glitch, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. I've, I've been aching to get a try at it. So Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to showing it off. Um, so I'll be showing it off with my artist, Sydney. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. It's really nice too because like this is uh, this is the first game that I've worked at here where I'm doing a lot of the design work. Yeah. Whereas with Treasure Stack, I did a lot of coding, um, which I mean I'm not as enthusiastic about coding as I am design. So I'm I'm excited to be able to like do um, a ton of like design work, mm-hmm. and get this game hopefully out. Do you guys have like a, a rough production schedule? Are you still is this polished prototype or so we, where are you we, at with it? We finished. Yeah, uh, we polished up a prototype that he had been working on for a while to show off to our bosses and we pitched it to them and mm-hmm. like, then they approved it. Um, and so they approved our timeline of one year to work on the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how long. <laughs> if that oh, I mean, yeah, best laid plans. Right, but, yeah. You know, yeah, uh, but, but like, that, that's, you, you certainly are putting together a production schedule. Yes. Cool, very cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, a bunch of games came out. Recently? So many games. So many games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you listen to this, uh, it'll have happened about two weeks ago, but um, there, you know, uh, Twitter was just like game dev Twitter was like, oh, there's too many games right now. Too many, you know, that, that fit the, yeah. the sort of the profile of what uh, indie um, game dev Twitter plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so the big one was the, the remake of Link's Awakening. Right. Um, which came out. And by the time you hear this, I'll probably have played all of it. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, other, probably the one that got the most attention on Twitter was uh, Untitled Goose Game. Right. Um, Honk. Yeah, they, they showed off. Uh, Honk. <laughs> they showed that off Honk. at PAX <laughs> uh, when we were showing off Treasure Stack. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. I played it at GDC this year. Yeah. And uh, like I, I asked when I was talking to the developers, because I, I was there as press for Nice Games Club, right? Yeah, uh, which was kind of fun. And um, I was asking the developer about like, oh, Untitled Goose Game. That's a really funny name. Um, was that ever a, actually a code name, or did you, uh, you know, or did was it always going to be the name of of the game? It's kind of yeah. funny. And he like looked me in the eye and said like, oh no, it's still a code name. We don't know what we're going to call it yet. <laughs> and I was like, really, really? That like, are you doing a gag with me? And it turns out he was. Oh, and I was like, okay, because <laughs> I actually was quite interested. Yeah, like, I, I want to know about that process about like the kind of humor in the game because it has this really, really. A very confident sense of humor mm-hmm. that's um it's like silly but not absurd mm. you know yeah. um and it really really well balanced and i anyway i didn't get any answers out of them so <laughs> <laughs> well that's out now so i guess they decided <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> um this other uh martha you were talking about this game before later alligator yeah later alligator was one of the games at xoxo yeah um and it's out now and it's a point and click and it's incredibly detailed animation because it's by an animation studio more than a like who hired a game studio to make it into a game. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So um, uh, it looks really fun and good and cute. Um, also, there's another um, uh, XOXO game uh, that is out now called Mutazione, which is oh. another p- kind of point and click adventure, but it's plants and uh, they sing. Oh, and um, it looks really cool and weird. <laughs> That's cool. Um, Overland? What is Overland? Uh, Overland is the, um, uh, the Adam Saltzman's game oh, okay. that uh, Finji, uh, was like Finji's big project. Oh, uh, that's right. Yes. Uh, hearing uh, uh, Becca Saltzman on Twitter has been just like, you know, uh, hammering home like how, how, like how much of the, the, that whole team put their heart and soul into it. Mm-hmm. Um, because Finji uh, moved from being a small time developer to a, a, a developing partner publisher. So they would work with these teams to make their games release ready and have a lot of input in the design, really, really hand in hand process. But Overland is their first like homegrown game in a little while. And um, it looks amazing. Um, and uh, it's out now on a bunch of platforms as well as part of Apple Arcade, which is ah. the other thing that came out uh, as part of this <laughs> on this on this day that everything else came out. Yeah, like 30 odd games, um, all premium, no free to play mechanics, all available as part of a subscription uh, package on Apple devices, which is great for those developers. But like if you don't have an Apple product, meh, like, you, just you can't even on. see these things. Yeah, a lot of them are exclusive to that platform. Overland is not, mm-hmm. um, but a number of them are. Uh, there was one called uh, Assemble with Care, which looks mm-hmm. like like the game uh, I was talking about last t- couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game idea I had at XOXO about like things in your life and like sorting things. It's kind of the aesthetic I'm thinking of is yeah. is this game um, where you like there's all these things that this person has and you have to fix them. They're like broken and you have to oh, go okay. in and fix them. And yeah. there are all these puzzles and stuff. Anyway, it looks great, but it's, I think it's only on Apple arcades. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and none of us own iPhones, right? No. Nope. Yeah. Well. It's funny. Cause you know, on the show, we've talked about, you know, exclusivity, all the, the brouhaha over Epic. Mm. Um, and this is sort of similar, except this is proper exclusivity. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's locked to specific devices. Mm-hmm. It's part of a subscription plan. Um, and you know, like, uh, as much as I'm kind of bummed out that I'm not going to get access to these things, yeah. I kind of, I mean, I feel the same way. Like it's fine. Like 
it's 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 part of the way devs make money. I think the worry is that if all games are need to be released this way in order for devs to make money, then it severely limits the amount of devs who can make money. And because it it needs to be very highly curatorial. Uh, I mean, curatorial. that's how games were released back in the day, right? That's sort of true. Right, like on N64, if it, it you can't get Donkey Kong 64 on, on PlayStation. Yeah. And so it's locked to that console. It uh, It's the way you describe it. It's make, it gives me some fears. Like maybe yeah. that 10, 15 year period of democratization of game development, mm-hmm. maybe we're on the downswing of that. So oh. I'm, and th- those might be overblown fears but that's the only concern i have about this but otherwise i have a hard time having a huge problem with it i mean the the what i've heard about the terms are not very great for developers oh really um like you get a one-time payment and then nothing else after that is what i heard but i this might be wrong maybe we should cut this from the podcast (laughs) that is what i well no it's interesting because this is all behind nda and so it's not it's not officially known so just rumors is like it's interesting to talk about like what are people saying about it and how you know how true is, are those things? Like I don't know. No idea. But yeah, and yeah. people are also concerned about it devaluing games more because I mean Apple already did that. We're making mobile games. Like if you are over oh yeah of ninety nine cents, it's a hard sell. That's ultimately the crime of the century when it comes to uh, yeah. the, uh, how people feel about games. Is that Apple came in and said games are like songs, and yeah. and that it it ruined uh, indies who would never think about selling their game for less than $30 are now all thinking like, is $5 too much? Yeah. Like, right. That, that's the, the way we're at. In that's the where mobile we're at space now. specifically. I guess well, that's in console too now and, and oh, on Steam, like yeah. people are selling their games for $4.99 and worried if, if that's too much. And it's, it, it that's a permanent situation now. On Switch to get, I was reading a thing that it, to get noticed on Switch once is your past being on the top of to out new, to mm-hmm. new games out today. Yeah. Um, People have to devalue their games to like ninety nine cents to get onto the top of the. Yeah, the way the eShop store works, um, their uh, best sellers are just volumes of sales. So yeah. if you sell your game for a penny, which you can do, or very nearly, um, you can just by volume end up on the best sellers list. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah, it's a Kotaku article, right? Yeah. That, that talked a little bit about this. We'll link that in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, and we'll probably talk more about this uh, on in, on a bulletin episode. Yeah. as well when once we know more too mm-hmm. i don't know i guess i'm not super worried about it i think part of it is because like the mobile spaces i think it's a little bit better this the way that it is right now where like developer i assuming the terms are good i, I guess i don't know but uh, mm-hmm. assuming the terms are good it's better this way that developers can make high profile you know long games and get paid good amounts for the work that they do yeah um it just becomes a question of the, who does the curating yeah, you know, I mean, and you know, are we going to have many different systems? Like, is Google going to do it? Is Amazon going to do it for their pl- their Fire devices? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be platform holder specific, or can you have a publisher or a, a storefront, like say like a, a congregate or a, a yeah. mid level uh, um, distributor of games? Could they put out an app that then can you could subscribe to and get thirty games? Like in that, could it be a, a robust marketplace of different places? to subscribe and get, you know, that sort of thing. And they work or, and then it becomes a, sort of a publisher relationship, or is it really just about like, if you know, you got to convince Apple mm-hmm. and in, in order to get any possibility of making a living at this. Yeah. So it's a worry. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe it's cause I'm not developing mobile games. <laughs> yeah. About it, which isn't fair, but I don't know. I, I feel like, well, that's the thing. A lot of these games, because of mm-hmm. the higher end premium experience, 
And now iOS supports uh, PlayStation Xbox controllers. And these things are cross-compatible with Apple TV. And Android has a TV platform. Yeah. You know, console-style games. uh, Maybe this is the way for these console-style games to be, um, uh, you know, uh, feasible Mm -hmm. on on mobile platforms. Sure. Um, Which is which is a good thing ultimately. Mm -hmm. Lots of lots of angles. Yeah. And if you bring all those angles together, you can get a holistic view of game dev today. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Very good one. Uh, This is my topic talking about holistic game design. So. I don't know if there's a real definition for this. It's just how I describe uh, um, certainly my process. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm multidisciplinary. I I do a lot of the things on games. And in some of my projects, I do all of the things. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think about this a lot in that um, I always hear people talking about like, oh, I'm good at this part, but not this part. And when people work on teams where it all comes together and all the parts are represented and they can, and they can kind of cross pollinate their, their, um, their skills and they can have good communication. Mm-hmm. You can have a, a project that sings, yeah. right? You can really make it work. Yeah. But a lot of times, I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Right. And so, um, uh, it, from my perspective, I'm thinking a lot about the sort of one person developer who, who does everything has to think of their games all together because all the parts are moving together. It's constantly in their head. They just can't help but work this way. And this is how I developed my sort of working theory of game design. Um, but I don't think it's exclusive to the one person developer Um, and and I I don't want it to be and so um, I want to talk a little bit about how uh, the different sort of disciplines can come together how you might do it um, if you say don't know certain disciplines how you can bring everything you have together even if you don't have certain other things Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe come up with some and talk about some examples Mm -hmm. Um, so before though I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about how you guys approach because you've both worked on projects by yourself um, either as prototypes or or, or your own little projects as well as on teams um, how do you think about, um, like, you know, uh, the, all those pieces coming together and speaking as one, or are you more comfortable where the design is the focus or the aesthetic is the focus? Um, I always, when I'm like designing a game, I always try to come up with like a whole cohesive, yeah, a whole cohesive piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, as I, 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 I'm getting a little bit better at this, but I, I don't have a great eye for art styles yet. So, um, uh, I have a difficult time. Um, working that in with like art, I can kind of do it with narrative. I can sort of like see how like my game design matches narratively with something, but I have a harder time mm-hmm. matching my game design with art stuff. Um, and so uh, I'll oftentimes like come up with a really cool idea for something that like I think is would, would make an interesting game, uh, and then like I have no idea what it actually looks like. Uh, so I kind of have a hard time with it. I yeah. guess. <laughs> but you've in the past couple of years, and we'll talk about this when we talk about how far we've come, mm-hmm. you've worked a lot more with, with artists and with teams lately. Yes. So you probably have a better sense of it now than you used to. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still frustrating. Like when I'm talking to my brother about art things and he'll tell me, he'll use terms and I'll be like, I don't know what that means. And then, we have, <laughs> then we argue. And, He's just trying to confuse you. I mean, yeah, he does that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but like, yeah, so I'll, I'll get sometimes frustrated trying to talk about art stuff because like, I don't, it, it sometimes to me feels like I, that's not what I want to focus on when I'm like working on a thing. Like yeah. if I'm making a prototype, the art's not finalized. It's not that great. Like I just want people to approach it from the game design aspect of it and mm-hmm. how like it feels. But a, a large part of how a game feels can be like the visual, um, the visuals, right? Yeah. So yeah. like I have a hard time when people. Like when I show a prototype to them and they're like, this would be cool. But what if you had a screen check? And I'm like, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and so like, then I, I feel like I have to waste my time 
like putting effort into like the visuals and stuff, mm-hmm. which I have gotten a lot less. I had I felt less towards that than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. Where like I feel like working, spending a bunch of dev time making things look cool or feel cool, um, it, it it feels like a better use of my time now than it did in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but that's where I am, mm-hmm. Martha. Um. I tend to think of one thing first, but I also like to um, try to bring together all the different parts of it in my head at once after I get the one idea. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about um, like grandma crime and how yeah. uh, I would want to do the menus systems um, and kind of like the tone what would what the tone would be? Because I kind of have two competing ideas in my head. One where it would be like very serious, and so I would want all the menus and everything to be kind of more more like, uh, or like serious in an ironic way. Mm-hmm. Like like have it be like payday, like dark and uh-huh. gritty and whatever. But it's, like it's, made of cross stitch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like go completely into the silly and have it be more like overcooked or or right, right. Uh, the the game where you're the little gang beast. That's yeah, what I, was yeah, 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 yeah. I was doing the little thing where you do with your hands, where you just stick <laughs> you your hands. People up. Right. So, because yeah. first impressions kind of matter in those cases, yeah. right? Because then they set the tone for expectations for the whole experience. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, so I kind of tend to think of like, here's the idea, and then like, what what tone do I want to to bring out? What's the first impression sort of thing idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's a lot of what I'm talking about is this idea of, of like, you've got these sort of general mechanics in mind, but before you could really start executing on them, you do want to think about how it looks because that's going to imply how those mechanics play off to people. Like, yeah. if you're grandma crime or you're, you know, the team of grandma criminals and you are like, okay, so do we knock stuff over and bump into people? And how does that feel to the player? Does that feel dangerous in the sense of like, Oh, that you know, like I might cause damage to somebody, or this might foil my plans, or does it feel fun and carefree and mischievous, like it would be in a more cartoonish Overcooked style game? And even in the mechanics, which would be identical in both of those styles of games, they would feel very differently. Exactly, they would feel correct or incorrect to people. And so that's a lot of what I think is important when you are thinking about this in a holistic sense is is how these things do come together. Yeah. Um. And and but that doesn't preclude you from. Um, minimizing one aspect of it that either you aren't as interested in or aren't as good at or don't have the experience for you just have to make sure that your design is not dependent on those things Mm -hmm. so you do need to have some familiarity with how those things interact even if you're not necessarily interested in engaging with them fully Um, so um, we're trying to come up with a couple of examples of how this works in actual games so you can kind of get more of a sense of this other than just theoretically so uh, we were talking earlier before the show about how old games had to do this, yeah. where just by virtue of them being uh, limited by technology, mm-hmm. um, th- th- you had no choice, mm-hmm. right? The look was part of the execution. And w- the example that I'm thinking of mostly is like Breakout or Pong, oh, yeah. games that use physics, yeah. but they use bouncing off the wall physics, like pure like pool table geometry, mm-hmm. because that was easy to calculate. Mm-hmm. And it was easy to explain in a sense of like, oh, that's how this thing works. You didn't like break out. And there are actually mobile games like this now that are that use a similar style, but have more of a, a gravity, a sense of gravity, arcing, all of that stuff that you can calculate now. Angry Birds. Uh, you know, exactly, right? Mm, like yeah. physics-based puzzle games that are, that are leveraged on the technology they can use. But Breakout is everything bounces in a straight line, mm-hmm. but it's it's not like on a pool table. It's in the air. So you have, so that, that means, well, then it should be kind of a sci-fi sort of aesthetic so that we can 
paper over the fact that it doesn't move in a natural way. And so <laughs> no all <gravity>. those <laughs> exactly. And then Pong works because it's top down and it's almost like a representation of what tennis looks like, which yeah. if you see it from overhead, they balls don't arc in that sense, right? right? They yeah. they go straight. Mm -hmm. And so um the 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 aesthetic of that ha matches with what's possible. Yeah. Um and you otherwise had no choice. And we I think this very common examples of like, you know, why Mario has his mustache is because they only had so many pixels. And that's that's a, maybe a slightly different kind of thing. This is really more about the whole element of the design and how it all comes together. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, old games just had to do this. But then as we got more uh, uh, capable, we started to not need to do it as much. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Uh, Martha, you were saying about like where you want to start your thinking from, like mm -hmm. either starting from the design or starting from the art. And I think that's definitely the case where um, when you think about games as a whole, it's very easy to think of like, oh, I need to think about it all at once. But, um, and this is something I used to tell filmmakers a lot when I was working in, in independent film, is like, it's okay if your idea comes from, I have one interesting line of dialogue I would yeah. love for someone to say. Yeah. And then, but if you hear that in a behind the scenes or a, a director's commentary, mm -hmm. the viewer is going to be like, oh, that's stupid. They, can't, like, it's, they just wanted to do this whole thing because they had the line of dialogue. No, all ideas start small. Yeah. And so if your idea is like, oh, I just had this great idea for a shot of like somebody over the, you know, watching a sunset from a particular location, mm -hmm. I'm going to build my whole thing around that. And then ideas flow from ideas. Um, but then the, the movie you make has nothing to do with that shot, but that's where it came from. Yeah. Games work exactly the same way. You could say like, oh, I want to make something where I, I have a menu system that, you know, th that's what you're thinking of first. Mm -hmm. Like, even though that's not the core of your game, it's not what people remember. It's not how you're going to sell it. But if that's the first thing you think of, that can inform everything else. You yeah. do have to start somewhere. I mean, that's literally how game jams work, right? There's a theme. Yeah. And so, like, you, you have to come up with something based off of this theme. And the theme can be anything. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's how that works. Yeah. And so, and game jams are an excellent example of seeing this in action. Yeah. Uh, be because, like older productions, you kind of have no choice. You have to move quickly. And so, you can't help but come up with ideas that were based on your last idea. <laughs> so it yeah. all kind of has to move together. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but yeah, having a theme or, or having a particular thing you want to try, like, I want to do a VR game where you only, where one hand is tied behind your back or something, you know, yeah. something like that. And like, well, what could that, like, I don't know, is it, are you a circus performer? Like, sure. <laughs> And like that seems like it was an excuse for that idea to work, but mm -hmm. that's how that's how ideas work. Yeah. Right. And so um, I, I think people might feel um, overwhelmed by the idea of trying to put it all together or having like a, a big idea where it's all it all part of the whole. Mm -hmm. But uh, that shouldn't be a concern. You can start from anywhere and then tie it all together as you as you move. Right. Yeah. Um, and there are definitely games that this did not happen. Yeah. Right? And so <laughs> I wanted to, not a million because yeah. they're fun to think of. But mm -hmm. like I wanted to come up with some bad examples. Um, of not bad games, right? But where you can kind of tell it didn't all go together. Yeah. And some of these are nitpicks, right? And But I think they're important to think about because um, when people talk about polish, they talk about, a, a, like, have a, sort of a specific idea of what polish is. Mm -hmm. But I, I tend to notice these, the things where I can say, oh, you know what? They just didn't have enough conversations on Slack about how these two things came together, this big, giant AAA team. Yeah. Um, and one of the examples that I've just had stuck in my head for a while is in, in The Witcher. Mm -hmm. And I have not played Witcher, but I watch Dale play Witcher all the time. Yeah. And Dale will frequently, every NPC in, in Witcher 3 will play Gwent with you. That's the card game. That's the mini game in, in uh, Witcher. Yeah. And um, when you suggest that in a conversation tree, your, your character Geralt will say one of a certain random uh, list of lines that's that's inviting the person to play Gwent. So right. it'll be like, hey, do you play Gwent? And then it'll 
fade out, then there's the Gwent spirit. Or like, hey, how about a few rounds of Gwent? Or hey, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you have some collectible cards. It'd be really interesting to, to take them from you. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know all the examples, but they're, yeah. they're all kind of fun and, and they have some flavor. Yeah. But there's one, and the one I said is, uh, uh, how about a few rounds of Gwent? Mm-hmm. Which is sounds like, how about a few rounds of poker? A few rounds of blackjack? Right. It's a very relatable line. Mm-hmm. The problem is, the way Gwent is designed is a match of Gwent is three rounds. Yeah. So when I say, how about a few rounds of Gwent, is that just a colloquial phrase? And everybody knows there are three rounds in Gwent. Mm -hmm. Am I saying, do you want to play a few games of Gwent? Or am I saying, how about just two rounds of Gwent and then we don't finish the game? Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's it's really nitpicky, Mm -hmm. but it tells me that coming up with that line of dialogue and having the voice actor say it, and it sounds good because it's based on this idea of how about a few rounds of poker, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But it doesn't line up with the actual design of the game, which a round is a specific thing, and there's only ever three of them. Yeah. And so... And I, so I'm just hung up on stuff like that. And so that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's like, these are things that are easy to fix. And yeah. also, uh, generally, you are definitely going to have, you're not going to be able to get them all, right? Yeah. Because when I talk about these in terms of nitpicks, what I mean is that all games have them. So your game, even if you think about this a lot, and I, who am obsessed with this kind of assembling of, to get, you know, putting everything together, yeah. uh, I'm not going to escape nitpicks either. But I think you should be on the lookout for them. And, yeah. and my concern is that nobody cared enough to, to fix a thing like that. Sure. I, I think that, uh, I think that a lot, I, like a lot of times these things will happen in like, it's a huge game, like Richard three is. Oh game. yeah. And like, that's huge, what it is, right? And there's a huge team on it. So like, it makes sense that like these little things will fall through the cracks, but mm-hmm. I think that it's possible that like, maybe they did notice it partway through the, the uh, development. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. There's rounds here and rounds here. And they, the context isn't correct. Yeah. But, they might have already recorded the the Geralt, whoever. And the line is too good. Yeah, and the line is good. And like they don't want to have to invite him back into the studio to record more footage. Yeah, and they don't want to cut that because then they have one fewer line. Yeah. And like that, and because of the way it's connected to other types of want to play a few rounds of this or that, mm-hmm. it fe- it's it's good. So may- yeah, maybe it's a, de- a decision they made after like, eh, maybe this is weird, but only total nitpickers uh, will, will care. <laughs> only Mark LaCroix. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess that's my point is I'm not yeah. trying to convince you or any of the listeners that this is actually a problem yeah um but i i do know that it doesn't line up yeah but but then the question is is if you have something of this in your own game you then need to decide like is it worth uh, you know is it it, what what are your competing interests Mm -hmm. right and so i guess the key is to have yourself a workflow where these things are less likely to pop up yes right Uh, yeah i I can actually think of an example in treasure stack now i think about it yeah uh well we have you know we have a tutorial in the beginning of treasure stack where like the first thing you um you know, the first when you start the game up, as long as it's not an online game, which is another problem. <laughs> if you play an online game right away, you don't get a tutorial, so you don't know what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> but um, well, it, you knew what snakes pit you were stepping into. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd like to think. Um, but yeah, if you start a game offline for the first time, if multiplayer or single player, um, it'll start you into the middle of the tutorial. And like the first thing that comes up is like the controls and stuff. But like as you're doing the controls and exploring how the game works, uh, one block falls from the top of the screen and Never in the game does one single block ever fall from the screen. Yeah. So it's inconsistent in that way. Yeah. Um, and so we might be. But giving, it's important to teach. It's important. Yeah. It's important to teach that there's this one block and we need to limit players from, you know, you know trying to move a, a couple of blocks around and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, just, I just decided to make it so that one block would fall down. Yeah. Um, but it is inconsistent in that the game never works that way. And so like a player might get the wrong impression from the beginning of the game that like sometimes one block will drop instead of two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it is something that like I had thought about, but like 
I was like, for the services of the tutorial, this this is okay, but it is inconsistent. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that the thinking when we were doing the tutorial level for Widget Satchel, yeah. that was a big concern of mine. Mm -hmm. Is um, we, when you you pick up widgets in the tutorial to teach you how how the weight mechanic works. Yeah. But then we're like, but you have to start the game proper with zero widgets. Mm -hmm. That's an important design tenet. So how do we get rid of the widgets that you pick up in the tutorial without just fading out and saying, never mind? Yeah. And so we had to come up with, well, put a fabricator at the end. So you buy something. Well, what do you buy but then can't keep, which is not how the game works? Mm -hmm. And so like we, it, it was a, we solved it, and I'm happy with the solve. Yeah. Uh, and I think it all hangs together, but it was a ton of work. Yeah. And I don't know how many players will appreciate all the work, for, frankly. Yeah. But <laughs> that, that's kind of my point is like, do the work anyway <laughs> you know yeah i mean it makes the game better yeah we yeah yeah but ultimately in your case it was competing interests it's like do we try to make it match perfectly with the design but then the tutorial experience won't be as good yeah. and there wasn't a way to square that circle right. so you made the better choice yeah right which was to make the tutorial work and then that little inconsistency players i think can just from how you describe it i don't think that's a huge problem right right yeah i mean you pick up pretty quick that only two blocks ever fall because like it never happens again yeah so, yeah yeah. and you're not given any knowledge that's wrong yeah necessarily well, that, i think that's part of my concern is because you're never given any knowledge that it's wrong in the beginning you don't think that it's you don't think that they ever could not be the case i see so, i see yeah but yeah. like you know it, it yeah. ends up so it's going to happen is the keys right it's yeah. you're going to be faced with it mm -hmm. right um Generally, the biggest problems I have with things like this are the difference between design and aesthetic. So, uh, collectible card games are this all the time. Yeah. Um, they just they have these amazing detailed mechanics, and then they just slap on a fantasy setting to it. Um, uh -huh. Remember my, my criticism of fantasy settings, but like <laughs> I, I find that that it can be kind of that it it makes it harder for me to play a game mm. if it's all focused on mechanics, but then it's also draped in this other stuff. It doesn't really matter. Sure. You know. Um, oh, would it be more interesting if it was like a collectible card game that was based more in like science and math or something so that it would be more it would feel more like you're about numbers when you're playing the game as as well as in world? Um, maybe. OK, uh, I don't know. I mean, like in magic, you like you, you know, you tap mana and yeah. that feels like correct. That feels really good mm. with the sort of actually science fiction games that use those kinds of like health and mana mechanics yeah. tend to feel they they feel weird to me. Okay. Um. It's just a lot of times, um, high level magic players don't care necessarily about any of the fiction. I mean, yeah. they do. Like they're very invested in the lore because right. magic has a lot of lore. Yeah. But in terms of the play, it's the mechanics are all that matters. Mm -hmm. And the more the better you are, the more invested you are in magic, the more that it's important for you to understand the mechanics and less important for you to understand the narrative. I see. It might be interesting and you might be invested in it, but it's less important to the game. Yeah. Oh, 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 I totally see that now. Like in mm -hmm. League of Legends, they used to have they used to have like uh, a lot more lore and stuff in it. And like in, in the lore of the game made sense for what you were doing in the game. Mm -hmm. um, like like the, the League of Legends was literally like um, all of the characters you were playing were competing for like were fighting against one another to uh, solve political strifes. Yeah. Um, and then they got rid of that, and now like yeah, the game, just, <laughs> yeah, now there's no League of Legends in League of Legends. It's just, <laughs> it's just the game, and like play. nobody cares, right? I cared so much. No, no, no. <laughs> I care, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. I'm saying the reason they they did, they changed it is because they realized not enough people would care, and yeah. it would be beneficial to the game. Yeah, and I guess that's the key. Is like holistic game design doesn't mean good game design. That's it doesn't make it better than another game. Yeah, yeah they did say um, that they felt very limited narratively. 
Um, yeah. Because of this. So they just unshackled rights. themselves from the narrative mm-hmm. and then they made a game everybody liked more. Yeah. I, I mean, I just don't like it. I don't, yeah. I don't like that sort of thing, but that's, I think that's a lot of it's a matter of taste because yeah. there are definitely people, not just designers, but there's definitely people who care about one thing more than the other. Right. And those people deserve to be catered to. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I'm trying to get out of my head a little bit when I, we talk about these things, yeah. but okay. There's a couple of great examples, things that yeah. really, really come together and really talk about w- what I think is a, is an excellent, version of this yeah and a lot of it has to do with limitations like those old games and the, the one i really love is return of the obra din oh yeah so that game everybody loves that game and everybody probably knows why they love that game but one of the reasons i love it is because the game has no animation right it is mm-hmm. uh, it is everything is a, t- is a static tableau and that feels like a genius element you're you're in the moment that snap of the music that that brings you into the, into this like a uh, uh, surprising new location yeah. everyone's in a different position then you start walking around it feels tense even though there's no danger it's yeah. just a, it's just a diorama the reason it's that is because lucas pope doesn't know how to do 3d animation <laughs> right like that's the reason huh. and so uh he you know he this is his first 3d game and he, he learned modeling and it's all brilliant and looks fantastic um and the 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 art style is a one bit color pattern because yeah. he could write a shader better than he could do texturing uh-huh. right and so he played to his strengths as a one person developer yeah. and the mechanics are all about the moment in time mm-hmm. right that you have this this stopwatch that takes you to these specific areas all the dialogue in the game happens a- over a black screen so you're you're sort of like it's the traveling to the moment you get a sense of what's happening and then all of a sudden snap there it is in front of you. Mm-hmm. And all of that is because he played to his strengths. What yeah. he could do. He didn't hire an animator to, to there, there aren't smoke effects that billow in, in the frozen space. It's there are sparks that are just in the air yeah. because it, like that is better for the design, even if it lacks a little juice. Right. Yeah. And in, in certain ways. So I think that's a brilliant example of, of using like uh, putting it all together yeah. in a way that also leverages what you have in front of you. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times especially beginning game designers who are inspired by games they love. They're like, I'll just make a version of that that's scoped down to my abilities. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they're not being crazy, right? They're, they're, they're not being like um, irrational when they like, oh, I, I, you know, taking up more than they can chew. Yeah. They can manage a project of that size, but it, it's all boiled down from something that is not what they are maybe best at making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see a lot of those smaller projects that are great, great little games that tend to be just smaller versions of games you know that designer loved yeah and and they may be fine but i feel like there's all those people can do better because if if they you know focus more on um something that that actually fits the their their not just their skill set but their interests right well that's the hard thing is that like if you have an interest that doesn't really match your skill set it's hard to it's hard to get that to happen so like i suppose this is my version of get good is like you know read those tutorials Look up that doc- uh, documentation uh, uh, if you're much, if you're interested in it. Too much work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, like I have a passing interest in fighting games, uh, <laughs> and uh, but a lot of fighting games is animation and art, and you know, yeah, the visuals and the fe- you, you know, you got to make the game feel good, and that's like one of my weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, the game you're working on now, um, because it has that rhythm component, mm-hmm. um, that does uh, uh, it, it takes the pressure off a little bit having totally fluid animations. Yeah, right. It, it, and, and you're, you're playing, at least in the prototype, the, the, the animations I've seen, mm-hmm. plays to that sense of, of, of a staccato rhythm that is, a, that is essential to the design of the game. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much of this was intentional, but it feels like you're going in the direction of where it all comes together. Yeah, like but I wouldn't be able to get any of this done if I didn't have an artist. <laughs> well, that's the key, right? Yeah. Is like, you know, if you're a one-person developer, mm-hmm. you know, and then yeah, you have to like 
what you're interested in, what you want to do, you got to make sure you can do it. Yeah. And if you can't do it, you have to adjust your design around that. Yeah. But that, you know, sometimes if you can't do something, that shouldn't be the end of the road. You should be able to work with other people. But then the key is, is that you shouldn't just hire someone to fill you the gaps you have. Mm. Like, even if you pay them nice and they're happy, that's not going to lead to the best design you can make. Sure. Ultimately, if you have someone join you who fills in a gap that you don't, they need to contribute not just the sense of ownership, but yeah. like let them influence the design. Oh, yeah. Let them influence the things you're good at. Right. And this is not uh, super difficult. I think it happens naturally. Mm-hmm. But I think people sometimes can be, especially if they do like, oh, I've got it all figured out. I've got the story fully written. Yeah. got the mechanics all set. I've got it all working. I just need someone who can do tile art for me for my little overhead RPG. Yeah. And then I'll be, I just need that. I just need to farm out that work. Mm. Um, I think, I think again, you can do better than that. You can, you can start and it doesn't even have to be necessarily a fully collaborative process. It could be you take in that work and then let it influence you. Yeah. Right? If you do just need to like hire someone to write music for you, then fine. But then don't don't just take their music and plop it in and call it done. Mm. Like think about, oh, well, this isn't exactly what I was expecting. It has a different sort of tone. Well, how can I change the background art to better fit that tone that the music provides mm-hmm. and kind of roll with it? And I think that can work for smaller teams. Yeah. But ultimately, you want to have people who can all contribute to the larger whole of it. Yeah. Um, um, but there's, so there's different levels you can have it at. Yeah. Um, but the main thing is don't just, don't just leave things undone and then pay someone to do it. Um, I, feel like, I feel like you can do better than that. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess I've tossed around the idea of like making a game and then just hiring somebody to do art for me. Yeah. Um, but then not have any any. And I mean, they would have input and in, say in how mm-hmm. the game looks, right? Yeah. It, and even if I even if I literally do not talk to them and just pay, they'd them have money. ownership of the aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, I guess my point is that that either you give them more than that, mm-hmm. or um, if they are just hired to do it, uh, this is about uh, team relationships, and that's a, a sort of separate. Is yeah. once you get that art, then you need to decide. Well, what is this now? Now that it's there, mm-hmm. does my what does what do I need to change about everything else? to better adapt to the art I now have. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't always have to be letting them, you know, make some design choices or take some of your job away from right. you. It can be about you, you know, seeing what's in front of you and then molding everything else around sure. it. Yeah. I mean, you're like, no, 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 it's not <laughs> that. It's that like, I, I agree with you. I do think that that would help. That will help the game. But I also think that I don't always want to do that. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Sometimes I want to just make a game that I think works yeah. in the moment yeah. um, and like then hire somebody to work or to do this thing for my vision. Yeah. Um, and like they'll give me something and it's not quite exactly the way that I wanted it to look like. And I could change like the way other things look or feel um, mm-hmm. as a result of that. But I don't want to. Sometimes, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Like sometimes when you have a complete vision yeah. that then that the, like you can hire a person to to contribute to that vision instead yeah. uh-huh. of instead of bringing their own thing because at a certain point like the counter argument to have everyone contribute is the this game was designed by a committee uh-huh. and you can tell oh, yeah yeah <laughs> so well, like you know you have to have some sort of like the counter argument devil's advocate you have yeah. to have some sort of vision yeah and i think that's that's really key to mm-hmm. preventing uh, this to just turn into like a blob right yeah where everything just kind of comes together and then you sort of like well this doesn't work we'll make it all fit together and it'll be fine because mm-hmm. then you end up with a compromised vision right i think right. That, that i think that's a fairly good counter argument yeah i think the the point i would make is if you have a vision like i guess my i guess my point is it's a lie that you can have a complete vision and, and then have okay. someone just contribute to it 
and then it, the vision not change. I would agree with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that, um, I mean, in practice, it's various levels of success you could have with that, yeah. that approach. But I think, um, and so th- I guess that's my point about collaborators is like, it's, it's people don't want to give up their, their, either their authority or, or their vision. Mm. Um, but you're doing that anyway. I guess is sort of my point. It's true. And so, um, you know, it, it, it can still be yours, yeah. but what, but then you need to decide what it is now that it's got these other pieces on it, sure. I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I would it's agree. a, it's a fragile situation. No. Yeah. I, I, but I would, I would definitely agree with that. Like, yeah. Uh, if you're collaborating with somebody, they are putting they are like I was saying, you're putting their vision into the work, into your work, regardless of what you do. Yeah. Um, if you hire somebody to put music in, they will make the game, feel a certain way because of the way that the music sounds mm-hmm. so, or, or, you know, art or whatever. So uh, even if you decide to just plop it into your game, it will still have an impact on your game. So you just have right. to accept that. Right. And so if you make no adjustments to your vision, yes. then th- that can be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. The game just now is something different. Um, the, the, the key then is you recognizing that that's happened. Yeah. Um, so it's not always necessarily about doing anything. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it, sometimes it comes in a part of like, Oh, well now that this is here, um, maybe I didn't explain it well enough to the, the, the person who was helping me, yeah. or maybe they had this great idea that I didn't think of mm-hmm. uh, or however it happened. Um, it is now a little different than what my, what was in my head. Yeah. And so one way to react to it is to mold, you know, mold the definition and change other aspects. Sometimes it's really just as simple as, as getting on board with what it is now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, not necessarily making changes. So I guess there's no prescriptive thing that works in all cases it's almost as if you have to balance between those two visions oh you don't say (laughs) (laughs) are we transitioning i think we are okay So my topic is work-life balance. This is actually, I had this topic again uh, previously uh, on episode like five or something. It was, uh, can we tweet about this? We were just little podcast babies back then. (laughs) Now we're full grown adult podcasters. (laughs) We're like jaded and cynical. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now we can really tackle this topic. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We're all at different points in our lives too. So like, Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to like come back to this and see how what we talked about in the past has influenced how we work how we work now or has not influenced how we work now um so like for example i have a full-time video game development job now um when i uh, when we first started this podcast i was working in a small architecture engineering firm as an office manager um and so like i felt like i had a lot of free time to just futz with stuff yeah um and with like with relation to making video games and stuff so i actually had a lot more free time back then i didn't realize it at the time but Mm -hmm. um to like make my own side projects and such. And because like my job did not involve uh video game development, I like felt like this was my only avenue in which to explore that. Um so I would like tweak stuff and things while I was at work waiting for my boss to tell me to do something. <laughs> <laughs> um um and but so that's changed. Now I have, you know, I work forty hours a week on uh other people's projects or I guess my projects but for a company. Yeah. And so like I'm contractually obligated to work on this thing for a certain amount of time yeah <laughs> but also when you go home you don't have to think about it anymore yes exactly so yeah i can segment it for, I, so as a result i get to segment that specific those projects from my life mm-hmm. outside of it when the five o'clock p.m run, rolls around um which is interesting which is weird because like as a result then like i there are other games i can still be working on like i worked on witch and satchel i was working at this job um and i still work on fingence every once in a while 
Um, but because I like turn off that part of my brain, it's hard to like turn that back on again. It's when harder I than it used to be. For it's you. harder, yeah, because yeah. I it's not as it's not a need that I need fulfilled as much because uh, I get that at work more. Yeah, um, and I've talked about that in another episode too, like working as a game dev. Mm-hmm. Um, but like because of that, it's difficult to like get back into it. Um, and and like other aspects of my life has changed too. Like I have my own place now. I guess when I was um, when I when we first started this, I was li- still living with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of easy to get really lazy because there's nobody at home. <laughs> there's nothing at home to that you need to distract yourself from, yeah. <laughs> except from yourself. So I like distract myself by watching TV instead of getting any work done. <laughs> Stuff like that. As you're not alone there. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But I mean, like when I was at home, it was kind of it was. Uh, like I love my parents, but like it was kind of annoying how often they would like keep tabs on what I was doing and stuff. Uh-huh. So like if I didn't want to interact with them, I could use working on video games as an excuse for not interacting with them. Right. <laughs> I no longer need that excuse. I can just not pick up the phone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they don't listen to this show, do they? <laughs> <laughs> no, as far as I know. Uh, sorry, mom and dad. Uh, but uh, so so that has changed some. And then like my priorities have shifted too. I, I'm going back to school um, so because I, I had never finished my degree and I'm trying to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like and like I said, I have I've been working on games, released a game on Switch and Xbox. And we've released like a couple of games, like um, not just Treasure Stack, but also Clawbreaker. Mm-hmm. We're really close to uh, Witch's Satchel release. We're mm-hmm. like really close to having a bunch of stuff in. Um, and so like I don't, my side projects, I don't need to have them finished to build my portfolio anymore. Yeah. And so like my priorities have changed. So it makes it kind of hard to keep motivating myself to work on side projects. So ultimately your work-life balance is a lot better and that's kind of a problem for you. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, because I, I think part of it is I still have these projects hanging over my head. Like I still need to finish Vengeance, but I, yeah. I don't have the motivation to keep working on it. Or at right. least I don't have as much motivation as I did. And now, unlike you know, in past years when the, the three of you on that project all had different levels of... Um, nervousness about yeah. getting it forward you're all about the same now yeah where you all kind of feel like let's just work on it whenever uh-huh. that's kind of where you're all at which yeah. is probably all good for your emotional health maybe not as good for the, <laughs> the schedule health. on the project yeah and maybe that's fine yeah yeah and well i, I mean, mean speaking as someone who wants that game out in the world <laughs> you know shame on all of you but <laughs> but like yeah. you know if you're all happy with that that situation then there's what's the problem well i i i mean it's it is a project that we would like to release. And like my brother has said that like he doesn't want this project to last for longer than a year past now because yeah. it I mean it's it is still something that we want to release. Like when Clawbreaker, like we were working on Clawbreaker, um, and we finished it and it was just kind of sitting there and not being released. It was just the thing that was not released. And in the back of your head, I'm like, why isn't this game out yet? Yeah. Now, <laughs> you could be making two dollars off of it. Yeah. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> um and so like it, it's it's hard to like uh it's hard to just forget a thing, yeah. Especially if you spend a bunch of time like developing it and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and with I guess with with Vengeance specifically, like me and Charles. Well, Charles is working on um, Hyperdot, and he's been really focused on that, and yeah. getting it out. So like I get that, and like I've been, uh, I've been. My priorities have changed. So like I got school and other things. So like I don't. Um, I, it's it's harder for me to work on it. And I, even with Lane, like he he also is. You know, we all are video game developers full time now. So like I I've heard from him that like uh, he gets a lot of um some of the from f- fulfillment that he used to get from Vengeance out of his work as well yeah um he I, is always really though Lane always feels like he's the most motivated to, to work on the game mm-hmm. not necessarily to complete the game but to work <laughs> on it um and so like 
it, he gets it, the band back together. Yeah, right. yeah. That's actually oftentimes how it works, um, which is really helpful. And so, mm-hmm. like, that's how we like get motivated. And actually, like, Mark, you t- do the same thing with Widget Satchel in that, like, um, I I still have a hard time getting motivated to work on stuff. And I know that I do some- need to kind of like <laughs> ping you a little bit. Yeah, for, yeah. You know. I'm not the best at that. I know, but um. Um, but it is helpful to have somebody who can motivate you to get something done. Yeah. Um, in, in like the, or like with the way that things work now. Mm-hmm. So like I have, I guess I do have more of a work-life balance, but like there's still things that I need to work on that I haven't been as a result of the life coming back up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah. like things are different, mm-hmm. but, and you're still coming to terms with like how you feel about it. Yeah. Basically is where I'm at. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But now that, now that I am, I have more time to not work on games. I can do more stuff. So like I can go out and go to clubs more or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, go to school and feel like I have time to study. Yeah. Things like that. You can have a little bit of life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm not the only one who's just, you know, in, in a new spot. Um, where, where are y'all at now with your work life balance? Um, well, for compared to when we were starting this show mm-hmm. and I was working on Metro Nexus nights and weekends, and I had a full-time job. Right. Um, now, uh, I left my high-paying job. Mm-hmm. Um, Dale wanted me to include high-paying in that, <laughs> that, that mention because, yeah. But, <laughs> but I saved a lot of money so yeah. I could do it. And so mm-hmm. I, I, le- I left my job um, uh, around the time we started Widget Satchel and then put Metro Nexus on a shelf. Yeah. And I've talked about it on the show before that like I get obsessed with these things and I need to... Um, I, in order to find the time, I had to put it aside so that Widget Satchel could get done. Yeah. And so part of that's frustrating for me a little bit is that I, I started over mm. uh, on, on, a, on, a, on a project. And Widget Satchel was supposed to like, take less time. And ultimately, yeah. it's going to take less than half the time that I had previously worked on, on Metro Nexus. Yeah. Um, although that was more on and off and sporadic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's good. But uh, as a result, I haven't released a game yet. Yeah. And that's the part that's kind of like, I don't feel that terrible about it because like, I know the circumstances. Okay. But I do kind of wish I had like a little game like Clawbreaker that was just out on Steam. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, that's a lovely feather in your cap, right? Mm-hmm. Moving forward. Um, and uh, just the way that my career has gone, it's never really, it's never felt plausible for me to work as a game developer, mm-hmm. like uh, at a company. And I, I think that's just the way I've felt personally. I don't think that there's a reason that's the case. Yeah, you totally could do it. Yeah, it's just never, it's never been a desire of mine. Yeah. I mean, also to be fair, like here in Minnesota, we don't have a lot of opportunities for That's absolutely games. true. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when things come up, I always think about who would be great for that. Mm-hmm. I never think that it would be me. Um, it's just not something I've, I consider. And, yeah. and I, I do sometimes think about like, why don't I think that? And I, I think it's just about the way, my, you know, because I, le- I left another career to work in, in games. Right. But I still feel myself as that's, that's what I would do professionally if I wanted to get another full-time job. Yeah. And that's the job I left was, was doing work like that, mm-hmm. um, which I still like and I'm good at and, yeah. would, and would happy to work at again. Um, I didn't leave it because I didn't like it. I left it because I wanted to do games. Um, and so I still feel like that's what I would do as a job. And so... Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I so I I left my work and not to work on Widget Satchel, yeah. Um, but to work on on uh, other things, and yeah. it just happened to time out pretty well. Where Widget Satchel was something that uh, would make sense to use that time for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely changed. But the other things have changed. Is I've definitely I do certainly know a lot more about the industry. I, I have, um, you know, um, I wouldn't say connections, but like I know. Uh, what to do and who to talk to a little yeah, bit better than yeah. I used to. Okay. Um, you know, I, 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 I have access to all the console makers. I've got those dev kits. I know how those processes work. Mm-hmm. We're going to be releasing on Switch fairly soon. Yeah. Um, I've, I've talked and worked with publishers, um, with marketing agencies. Like I, I, I know a little bit more about the, the, the indie life mm-hmm. um, than I did before, which was really just about learning the skills 
and making the thing. And that is really like a third of the job. Yeah. And so I feel like I've, I've gotten, I've, I'm at the, I've got the second third down. Um, and then the, the, the last third will be upcoming, I imagine, and consist of various things. But, um, uh, because I don't, because we just hatched not out yet. Mm-hmm. And that's been giving me a lot of stress because, um, it, because it's a, it's a threshold, right? Yeah. Once that's out, then I can start thinking about that, that final third of like may, actually making a full, like having a, you know, a, a running business and, yeah. and, and you know, f- not not just making money because w- it's not super realistic, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but just the idea of what a sustainable thing is. It's not just a hobby, not just taking some time off to work on a thing. And so that's where I'm at right now. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's it's different, but a yeah. lot of my working habits are pretty similar because when I did do nights and weekends on projects, I pretty much worked the same way. <laughs> okay. So, but like in terms of work life balance, do you feel like you're still able to? do social things and, you know, interact with people and for the most part, okay. um, I don't know that that's a lot different because I, gen- you know, I have unusual sleep schedules okay. and I tend to, I'm an addictive personality. So when I'm working on something, I will work for 12 or 15 hours mm-hmm. because I would rather do that than anything else. Yeah. Um, and so it's not that I'm, so there's no other pressures that are put on me to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just the way I behave. Okay. And so, and then when I, when I, you know, when I have, when I plan an event or have people over or go to, to something, um, I want to do that for as long as possible. Yeah. So um, it t- it tends to just sort of like things just happen. Well, we really plan for them. So if there if there's not a because you used to have a full time job, right? If there's yeah. not a break where you know you go from job to somewhere else, yeah, does that make it so that you just keep working instead? You think? Um, yes, that's definitely true. Okay. Um, I definitely can do 15 hour stretches now yeah. where I couldn't before, unless it was weekends. Mm-hmm. Also, when I had a full-time job, it was, um, there's always that, you know, you want to do want to wind down. You don't want to watch some TV. You do have to eat sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and th- so it was much easier for me to waste away a day. Okay. And that's, that's always the way I felt about it is that if I come home on a Wednesday mm-hmm. and I've got evening time and all I do is like either hang out with people or watch TV or play a game and eat and yeah. go to bed, yeah. I get very nervous that I've wasted that day. Okay. Um, and I don't know if it's because I'm in my 30s now and I feel like, like t- it's, it's, I think it's a very common like sort of quarter life to midlife kind of period where you do feel like you're wasting time mm. um, if you're not doing what you, um, what you feel you're meant to do. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I still have enough time to, to be social with people, but I don't prioritize that, yeah. I guess. Um, because I feel like, I don't know, I want, I want work out in the world and I can't do that unless I put the time in. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in my twenties working on projects, having jobs that did things. And like, I, I got work out in the world yeah. and that was great. But because I'm now doing something different, it does feel like I started over. Okay. And so I'm more, more pressured of that now, especially because I left my high paying job to do it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I suppose. Okay. But doing this show has been helpful because I get to talk about it. Yeah. Right. And that 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 helps me kind of align my interests and my feelings um, in a way that I think wouldn't have been possible if we didn't get together, you know, in the clubhouse to yeah. to chat about various topics. Yeah. Talking about stuff does help. Yeah. <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> Martha, you have had a a couple of of um, moves since we started the program. Want to uh, talk about those? Uh, like. Physical move. Well, you've moved a few times. <laughs> you yes. have moved a few times. <laughs> um, and I got a new job from the one that I had in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that new job is a lot less stressful than the old job. Yeah, and you're I'm, much happier yes. professional developer than you were. Yes, very, very much happier. Uh, it's um, very good. And I, But I also have to do a lot more coding at my new job than I did at my old job, which makes doing coding after I did my job a lot harder, like ah, you were talking yeah. about, Stephen. Um, and like it's hard to do your job again, even if it's from like for something that you like yeah. do it that, like that you part know. of your brain it's tired right yeah it's like i can't do the debugging of this because <laughs> i just did debugging for eight hours or whatever yeah. yeah um so that's been like i have a happier time but it's now harder to even more hard to work on things yeah. um but clawbreaker came out and yeah. i made a couple levels for widget satchel so like i'm still working on stuff i have point and click adventure in my head um but it's not out and mm. in, in any form really uh in meat space mm-hmm. um and i have ideas lots of ideas for other games but still have a hard time doing that like yeah. actually like there's that thing where it's that meme where it's like the game devs time and you have you know sleep uh play games talk about games or whatever and yeah. then you're like trying to fit game dev actual game dev <laughs> in there somewhere uh <laughs> like and then you like take out sleep and you put that one in instead. Yeah. um <laughs> that sounds about right <laughs> um so yeah so i'm still working on that mm-hmm. but i feel like my actual work-life balance is a whole lot better yeah so it's all it's all you know well what 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 is better about your work-life balance now well like there uh, at the senate there's a lot of like on call things okay. and and i had a really long commute uh, right. for a long time there uh going from uptown to downtown st paul on the yeah. bus takes a really long time yeah. um so now i have you know a very short commute and uh like when you have to do something it's usually after hours it's usually very planned like you know two weeks ahead of time that you're gonna have to do it yeah and it's only like you have to push one button wait to see the thing oh it went good you're done (laughs) like that's it and they like plan like you can plan it in so you like leave an hour early or whatever so you have the yeah the time it's never like well the senate's still in session which means you have to be here literally all night (laughs) so you know but also, it's not just that like the 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 surrounding circumstances of your new job is better. Like you like the work better, and the, you like the culture better. And you were just saying before the show, um, you the your your whole team was cheering you on, uh, heading off to the climate strike. Yes, right? <laughs> yesterday, right? Yes, yeah. So yeah, I went to the climate strike yesterday, which is yesterday in our timeline. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, and like my whole workplace was like, "Awesome, go you! This is great!" And like, ten pictures. Where are more pictures? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, much happier time. But yeah. So when we on the show uh, uh, give you stress about uh, getting work done on your on your game, um, do you feel that intermittently? Like you just reminded, "Oh, right, I should be working on that," and I'm stressed. Or is it like a low level thing you're always thinking about? Um. It's kind of a low level thing, like like you were talking about how when you are home and like actually you you have to do the relaxing part, yeah, and that like feels, you do physically need it. Yes, you right. physically yeah. have to zen for a bit, um, and like I always feel like I'm wasting that time, and even though it's like I have to do that <laughs> uh, for health, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, 
Um, yeah, it's always, I mean, and doing this podcast is like, I feel kind of like I'm lying to people because I haven't really worked, like the, the last thing I actually sat down at a keyboard to do was Widget's Agile stuff, mm-hmm. which was a year ago now. It was getting on, yeah. Yeah, so like, like I've done plenty of design stuff, but never sat down to do the thing. Mm-hmm. So I've been feeling kind of guilty about that late, recently. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, so I've been trying to work on ways to do a work life game dev balance yeah. that includes more game dev. <laughs> well, we've talked about when we talk about uh, working on teams, how useful it is to have schedules. And when we, we were when we were all working on Widget Satchel, like having that regimented schedule was the only way it worked. Yeah, um, is that something you could do on your own, or would it be? At least I know for me, it'd be way too easy to break it because you're not accountable to anyone. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, well, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe we'll get back to you listeners (laughs) on that one. So yeah, that's, that's where I am now. Okay. Yeah. It's still tricky, right? Work-life balance. Yeah. Cause like, even if you feel like you have a balance, it still feels like you should be doing more or less or something. And like, right, right. You never feel like you're doing the right American thing. society is just weird that way. Like, we <laughs> never want to relax. It's always, it's always, you have to do all the work. Why aren't you doing more work? Yeah. You should be an influencer by now. What's going on? <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of it is like our, the way our culture works is that like we want, uh, uh, we are often told that like hard work will get you what you want, right? So mm-hmm. like we're told if you if you work really hard that you can get all the things that you desire. And so like in the back of your mind, you're like, I, I could work harder on this thing and then I can get more of this relaxing time or something later down down the line or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so like it, it 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 reinforces that message. And so like it oftentimes. And in fact, like it makes sometimes it makes relaxing feel more stressful than not relaxing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's I think work life balance for a lot of people mm-hmm. is is basically searching for something that the two of you both have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is you have, um, you know, a work environment that you're, uh, you know, uh, happy with most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and your s- schedules are pretty sustainable. Yeah. Um, it's just that you have interests and demands of your own. That are outside of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, when a lot of people talk about work-life balance, they're like, "Oh, I had to stay at the office till nine p.m." Mm-hmm. and that was a problem you had at your old job, Martha. Yeah. But right now, you don't have that problem. But it's a it's a different kind of problem, yeah. right? It's you're you're accountable to yourself or to that desire, uh, as I have, to have work in the world. You know, yeah. um, that's apart from that. And so, and I think Stephen, you were saying. Like you get to do some design work now. You get to do a little bit more of your passion mm-hmm. at your day job. Yeah. And the danger is how much that's going to sap from you in those other times. Right. And maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want to just be a professional game developer and then go home and relax because ultimately that is work life balance. Yeah. Right. And honestly, I have been thinking about that. Yeah. Like if I want to, if I want, like, if I just didn't do any more projects and I just had my work and then I could do everything else separate from that. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I mean, that's how like my dad works, right? Like mm-hmm. he'll, he go to his job and sometimes he works longer, but like, so he'll go to his job and then he comes home and he sits on the couch and watches TV or hangs out or goes to a movie with my mom or something like that. Um, but like they're separate things. Yeah. Um, and that seems that kind of appealing because then you just have time to do with what, as you please. Like my dad, he'll, because he like just only does his work stuff at work. Um, he has time to like help out at um, his church and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and so like that's very valuable to him. And 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 he like gets to he gets to have like a balance. He gets to be social with stuff. He hangs out with his family and his friends and things. Um, 
And so that seems like a very appealing thing. But like at the same time, I, I do have all these projects and I also have projects I would like to work on aside from just at work. So I don't, I don't know if I should just like give that up um, and just like, you know, just do work stuff and then come home and do other things or, or what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a solve. It's not a, it's not a solve. We, yeah. we still don't know the answers people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in this field, everybody is different. I think I would like to hear from listeners. Yeah. Yes. Give us some, some feedback. Like how do you manage it? Do you, do you work a day job that is not related to games and, and you need to uh, eck out the time to do your passion? Mm-hmm. Do you work in games and are trying to eck out some time to do your actual passion? Yeah. Uh, maybe your passion has nothing to do with games and you just work professionally in games. And how is, what's that like? Yeah. Um, you know, we're three different people with three different situations, but we represent a very small um, subset of all the types of work-life balance problems people have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell us all about it. That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale posts cool Nice Games Club news. Send us trailers, um, talk, to, talk to us about work-life balance, etc. Um, you can do that there, or you can do that through email uh, at con- contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find more about the show, your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, Remember to play nice and make nice. Uh, oh, wait, we have to stop. Oh, My dad's okay. here. Oh, okay. Oh. I'll just leave the recording running. Okay. <clears throat> Wait, now Martha's gone. What can we talk about in secret that she's not here? Uh oh my. Well, I mean, well, we no. You you and Martha have Star Trek in common. Uh-huh. We Oh, good the good place. Oh, she doesn't watch that show? She, no, she does watch the good place. But she watches <laughs> it late, so she's always behind. Aren't you excited for the new season though? I'm season quite four? quite. Yeah, it's it starts up next week. Yeah. Oh, dang. So if listeners do hear this, they'll have an episode or they'll two. They'll have already watched it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really curious. I, every time a uh, new season of The Good Place comes up, I rewatch the previous season just to get myself reacquainted yeah. with what happened. You're right, because a lot of things happen. Well, yeah, and the way that like season one ended, I was like, oh, I got to rewatch this thing again before <laughs> it happens because it was such a great ending. Yeah. Um, that season. Um, and so I rewatched it again, and I'm just, yeah, I, I, there's so many different ways that it can go uh, mm-hmm. from here now. Did you watch the the selection? The, the it's a it's a web little web mini series. Mm-hmm. Where um, Sean and a bunch of the bad place uh, dum dums yeah. uh, are trying to figure out who to send to the new experiment. Oh, really? And it's a bunch of three minute episodes. There's like yeah. six of them or yeah. something. Um, and it's very funny. Okay. Um, but it gives you nothing new. It's like oh. it's definitely designed for you not to have needed to have watched it. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's fun. You, okay. It's just on NBC's website or I'll something. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, because I I've been like avoiding watching promo stuff because yeah. like, the way that this show works is there's always a bunch of twists and stuff and things change yeah. pretty drastically. They're so, very guarded in their marketing though. Yeah, are you they? Could, you could pretty much watch all the 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 promotional stuff and not get spoiled on anything. Oh, okay. As far as I know, like because I've been searching it out because yeah. I've been interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know nothing about the season. Like, absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Well, yeah, but yeah, I've, like I've been avoiding it because I don't want any spoilers, but that's good to know that like the marketing is not going to spoil anything for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, your mileage may vary, but mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, I've never, 
It's always yeah. been a surprise every year. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, and I'm sure like they're not going to spoil anything of, yeah. of major importance either way. Yeah. But yeah, I'll check out that selection. Yeah. Speaking cool. of podcasts, which yeah. you don't listen to, there is the good. <laughs> don't tell listeners that <laughs> the, the good place, the podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Have you heard that? I have. I have heard of it. It is so so good. Yeah. It is. It is for lovers of the program. Okay. You would really quite like it. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to maybe. Think Wait, Martha's back. Oh, well, we're hush done. up. <laughs> All right. Work life balance. Yes. <laughs> Again. Yes. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.